Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. I hope that Christians in particular, though I think actually many folks who are not Christian could also would really resonate strongly with much that's in the book. But I really hope that Christians who genuinely want a interracial, diverse, multiracial faith, brother and sisterhood Mm -hmm. to be a reality, I hope, I want them to read this book. Mm -hmm. Because I believe there are many Christians who long for that and genuinely, Mm -hmm. genuinely do so. And I think it's achievable. Yeah. I think we haven't been using the right tools. Mm -hmm. And so I want those folks to read this book because I think this book is a very very hopeful book. I wrote it from a place of love. (laughs) And what I want them to get from the book is that we can do it. Mm -hmm. I think white Christians struggle to talk about race. And I watch, I work with lots of young people, and I watch white students be terrified when we're going to talk about race. And when we start doing it... And, and we work with some of the um, histories that are in the book and some of the questions that are in the book, I watch them kind of breathe this huge, huge sigh of relief and realize not only can they talk about race, can they own our racial history, but it's liberating to do so. It feels mm-hmm. good to, to, to feel like you can set things right. Yeah. Even if that's going to be a long-term imperfect process. I mean, we'll never fully set these things right in this country. But the work of doing it is very liberating. So I hope that that's what people get out of this book. So they don't have to live with the the deep ache of feeling like something's wrong and everything you're doing isn't working. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and there's, we, we don't have a good racial conversation in this country, mostly because white Americans and even white Christians have resisted having that conversation. So much of what in the book is in the book is not new. Mm-hmm. Black Christians have been saying it for a very long time. <laughs> and in the late 1960s, uh-huh. said it very explicitly, said to white Christians in the late 1960s, the civil rights movement, as courageous, brilliant, incredible as it is, the vision of beloved community that it, that it, sort of put out there for Christians to embrace, mm-hmm. it's not enough. Yeah. And then late, the late 1960s, black Christians started saying that more and more. And white Christians in the late 1960s, that's when we really stopped allying with the civil rights movement was mm-hmm. when black Christians started saying that. So the book really lifts up those voices. It's not my idea. It's, yeah. it's, it's voices that white Christians um, 
really stopped listening to in the late 1960s who've been continuing to say, this is what needs to be done. It's mm-hmm. actually, it's, it's hard, but it's not that hard. It's, it's not that hard because there's no secret about what's required. Black Christians have been telling white Christians for a very long time what's required. Yeah. What's hard is we have to decide we want to do it. Yeah. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, March 29th, 2017. So I have been told. Make sure I plug uh, with all of the conversation, I think on Twitter yesterday, that would be Tuesday. There was, uh, I think one of the most popular uh, hashtags or topics of the day was uh, April Ryan, black journalist, black reporter, and she was chided by one of uh, the press representatives for the Trump administration, uh, Mr. Spencer, who's a white male. Uh, He told her to stop shaking her head. That was uh, talked about widely yesterday. And people, I think the hashtag they were using was black women at work. I said, hmm, this sounds remarkably similar to what we talk about every Thursday on workplace racism tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific. I think there was actually a twofer uh, because it was April Ryan and then uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters uh, had to deal with her own workplace racism from Bill O'Reilly. But I made sure to get a plug in because we talk about those issues every Thursday, tomorrow. Workplace racism, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, same program time, dial in uh, to discuss racism on the job, what to do about it, how to counter being attacked. Now, uh, to today's program, <clears throat> our guest uh, that you heard in the audio segment uh, that we started off with this kind of uh, challenge, if you will, uh, to white Christians to honestly deal with the problem of white supremacy racism. Uh, she first came to my attention. She wrote a New York Times article uh, came out earlier this year. Uh, And it's uh, titled, Are We Raising Racists? Uh, And that's the title of the article. And then uh, within it, she goes on, she says, "Um, we don't talk honestly with white children about racism. They become more likely to disbelieve or discount their peers when they report experiencing racism. It goes on more detail about the importance of talking with children, particularly white children, uh, about this problem. Uh, I reached out to her. She said she'd be willing to come on the program and share a few of her views uh, on the problem. She is a professor of religion at Drake University in Iowa. Uh, Her areas of interest include encounters of religion and ethics with race, gender, activism, politics, spirituality, justice, and other, and any other aspect of social life in which religiosity decides to show up. Uh, She has written extensively uh, about white supremacy. Uh, Her 2007 publication, Whiteness and Morality, Pursuing Racial Justice Through Reparations and Sovereignty. Uh, She has a specific passage uh, that I think is pretty direct uh, in in summing up uh, what racism white supremacy is. She writes, racism is a white problem. People who were white created white supremacy and people who are white sustain it. Our actions, attitudes, and ways of being subvert justice, cross racial solidarity, and reconciliation. More insidiously, we benefit profusely from the prevalence of racial injustice, even as we are spiritually, psychologically, and morally malformed 
by it. Most importantly, the next sentence is none of this is new. Absolutely. Uh, Joining us live on the program uh, to discuss some of her writing and her views on white supremacy, racism, our guest, Reverend Jennifer Harvey, Uh, Reverend Harvey. Are you with us, ma'am? Hello, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your Wednesday evening uh, for our listeners. Uh, some of them, I'm sure this is their first time hearing about you. Anything that you think would be helpful for folks to know just more about who you are and the work that you do? Well, um, I guess I would say I'm someone who's been journeying with these questions for a long time and first approached them through of the language of faith as a justice-seeking Christian in my 20s, and now here, 20 years later, I've spent a lot of time doing um, various kinds of work with activism and um, teaching, and in my own journey now as a parent, um, just trying to continue to figure out what it means to be a white American and committed to dismantling white supremacy. Wow. Hmm. Have you Have you found an answer to that question, what it means to be white? Um, I'm, I'm sure I'll spend the rest of my life answering that question, but I, I, I certainly feel like, um, in the years that I've been sort of plugging away at that question, um, I, I know, you know, some of the things that it means and I feel clear about the ways that it means being kind of born into a society that, um, socializes you in ways that make it difficult for you to, um, recognize inequity and in often being socialized in ways in which you're not told the whole truth about the violence of the United States and the sort of racial history that we all inherit. Um, And that it often means having been told that even sort of among folks who are committed to equality and long for justice, that really racism is mostly about people of color and we even, you know, sort of good white people sort of wanting to work on their behalf when in fact um, racism is about all of us. And so, I mean, I know it, it means all of those things, but I've also come to know that it doesn't, it does not have to mean um, just being complicit with all of those systems, but that, you know, that those of us who are white can learn to fight them and challenge them and we can, it's a lifelong journey, but we can learn to know our own history differently and, um, you know, seek a, you know, seek a life-giving journey of being in solidarity against racism with men and women and children of color in this country. Hmm. Um, for our listeners who haven't seen you, you have photographs online at your website and at the faculty page for Drake University. Um, you <laughs> are a white woman, Yes. I am. Yes. Okay. Um, And I try to ask this question when I'm speaking with any white person about racism, particularly on this broadcast. Um, Mm -hmm. Reverend Harvey, at any point, uh, have you ever in your existence had trouble being honest with non-white people, particularly when talking about racism? And when I say not being honest, either withholding accurate information that you do have and or not using the most accurate terms. Uh, And that would include um, taking a very long time being convoluted when you give answers so that non-white people might be confused about what you actually mean. Have you ever had a problem being dishonest in any of those ways with non-white people? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I have because I know that, I mean, 
I've had, I've had to learn and had many experiences in my life where I um, engaged in behaviors that were themselves racist or where I, you know, was trying to figure out what it meant to try and, you know, behave in anti-racist ways. But part of my motivation was to be one of the quote unquote good, good white people. That's something that lots of white folks go through as they try and um, come, come out and come into a different sense of um, ability around racial justice work. And so I'm sure I've, I'm, I'm certain I've engaged in those behaviors. Um, you know, in my own growth journey. Okay. Uh, for this program, uh, that's one of the things that I have observed uh, in my time conducting this broadcast and just researching on ways that white people like yourself uh, practice white supremacy is they're not honest. Uh, there's so much rhetoric around. We need to have conversation. We need to have talk about this. Uh, but most mm-hmm. of the time, the problem is not that white people don't talk about racism. The problem is that they are very dishonest when they talk about racism, particularly with non-white people. Uh, and if mm-hmm. on this program, if you can make every effort to be as honest as possible uh, and efficient, uh, because I, I tell non-white people all the time, we should really value our time and energy. Uh, I found that a lot of times uh, non-white, excuse me, white people will do a lot of pussyfooting. Uh, where they will talk and 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 talk. And then after you've got all these words, they didn't even answer your question. Uh, And they've talked to you for 10 minutes and they could have said everything they needed to say in one minute. And we could have moved on. We have a lot of people that want to ask questions. So, and it's for me, listeners who we talked about white people laughing in these discussions. Uh, But Uh it's important not only because we have other people that are waiting, but this is serious. This is a serious problem. And we yeah. have been dealing with this for a long time. We should really be looking to accelerate our effort and efficiency so that we are not talking about this 10, 20, really a week down the road. Let's go ahead and get this knocked out now. Uh, to that end, okay. on this broadcast, uh, I have concluded uh, the term racism and the term white supremacy, they are synonyms. I use the same definition for both terms. That definition is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I do think such a system exists. Yes. Accurate definition? Yes, I think it's accurate. I I would also probably add, I think that there are, the definition implies sort of awareness of motives. And I think sometimes white supremacy continues and is perpetuated by folks who aren't even conscious they have the motive. But I don't think the definition is inaccurate. Hmm. Interesting. Um, that <clears throat> my view that that term, many of the white people that we've had on the program for nearly a decade now, that word conscious uh, comes up. And as you said, it's implied because the word conscious is not in my definition. And it kind of goes back to uh, one of your first responses, which I will have to say, I felt like you were likely practicing racism consciously, deliberately, okay. willfully. Uh, this suggestion that white people don't know what it means to be white, that, in my view, is hogwash to the highest level. There is no way white people can be ignorant about, unconscious of racism, white supremacy, even the little white people. Uh, and I've just I pointed that out consistently uh, to non-white people because I think we're the ones that are confused about this. Uh, I would even start with you as a white woman. 
when did you start hearing messages or any conversation uh, about non-white people, how you should think about non-white people, behave towards non-white people? When do you remember hearing any of that growing up as a white child? I remember it consciously from about age six, but I'm sure I got messages before that. Can you, do you remember what you were hearing specifically? I remember hearing little girls in my class talk about skin color and try and, uh, you know, make sense about racial difference as first graders in a very multiracial school context. What, what part of the uh, country is this in? I grew up in Colorado in Denver. Denver, Colorado, and what, if you recall, like, what was the percentage of the, like, non-white children, black children that were in your, your area, your school growing up? About 70%. 70% non-white? Yes, correct. Wow, okay. Uh, so, in most of your classes, were you, like, one of only a few white people? Yes, sir. Wow, okay. So, and your parents, uh, did they talk about this? Did, was this a deliberate decision to have you in this sort of environment? This was a deliberate decision. However, they did not talk about it until I was older. Oh, okay. What did they tell you when you got older? That they wanted me in a diverse school, and so they had very intentionally kept me in public schools when many white families were removing their children from schools during the era of busing and integration. Wow. This was a value my parents held. Fascinating. To me, even that right there, it sounds like your parents, they're not confused uh, about what it means to be white. Uh, and it sounds like you were not confused about that either because you said you were getting these messages from even other white children at six. So, at, which I said earlier, even the little white tykes, they're not ignorant. You're not unaware as a white person. In fact, I've stated it this way. You can feel free to set me straight if I'm saying something that's not accurate. Uh, you think, you know, I'm giving out false information. You know, call me on it. Listeners do that too. Um, in my view, white people will get in trouble with other white people uh, if they are making errors, demonstrating that maybe they don't understand or they're not aware. They're just not paying attention uh, to what's going on, and they're not practicing upholding their duties as a racist. You will get in trouble with other white people. Is that a true statement? I think that is part of white uh, being raised white. Yes. Okay. Which but I don't. But I disagree that. But I disagree with you that. Um, necessarily two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds have the conceptual development to yet understand that. So I don't think I did. I, I do not agree with you on that. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty young. I think there's data that says even five. It's pretty young uh, that a lot of folks have said that this information is there. And I've even heard from a lot of white. In fact, there were a number of white people at the White Privilege Conference. They said that they have been practicing racism from conception. I'll leave it to you all, you know, make your own assessment as to where you think the awareness begins with white people. But it's much, much earlier than I think a lot of people uh, posit. Uh, you as a white person, a white woman specifically, can you think of times specifically because you said you're kind of on a journey in doing all this? Can you think of times where you have practiced racism, even looking back on it now saying, yeah, I was practicing racism right there. I was mistreating someone because they were not white. I'm sorry, I could, did you ask if I can look back at times and, and recognize times that I did that? Yes, ma'am, where you have practiced racism. Absolutely. I mean, every, every white person in the United States practices racism because we are breathing in 
racist development from birth. And so, yes, absolutely, I have. Well, I asked for there's no, there's no, that would be dishonest of any white U.S. American to say that they had not. Okay. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm being specific, specific incidents uh, where you have practiced racism, not in a general sense. Well, I can give you a specific in, incident from my incident from my early twenties. I can't identify that doesn't mean I'm not claiming that they didn't happen earlier, but I'm, I can't recollect earlier times that I behaved in this way. But in my early twenties, I was again in a, in a about 50% a person of color, 50% white school, and I wanted to write a newspaper story about the Million Men March. And some of the African-American men in my school who I, uh, you know, I had friendships slash student peer relationships with had gone. And they said to me, we don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want you to write this, a story about this because we agreed that we're not going to talk about, you know, the, the meaning of the Million Men March to us at, you know, for the, for the broader community. And instead of just respecting that and say, oh, okay, this is not my turf. I, I recollect sort of pressuring one of them who I had a closer friendship with and just kind of kept pestering him to to talk to me about this story, um, which he eventually did. But, you know, not long thereafter, I realized, wow, I just did that. I disrespected what these men of color had said to me about what um, their ground was relative to wanting to keep that experience, um, you know, for themselves and not have it written about by a white, you know, student it, to a larger, you know, multiracial community. So, um, you know, even, you know, shortly thereafter, I recognized that was racist behavior on my part that I just had not respected that. Wow. Excellent. I appreciate the detail. And and the reason that I ask for specifics is because frequently white people, they will use the rhetoric of white privilege uh, to talk about the ways that they, quote unquote, benefit from white supremacy. But uh-huh. no one right. can list the ways that they practice white supremacy. And in my view, that is significantly more important than just being a white person saying that I, I benefit from, I mean, that's obvious. Uh, the details uh, of I agree with you. how this is upheld as a white person. Can you think of any other uh, times where you have practiced racism? Oh, I mean, if you're asking me for specific incidents where I did something that was overtly racist, um, you know, there was one other time on that same student newspaper experience where I was on the editorial board and a peer of mine who was white, also on the board, wrote a satire piece that I um, was uncomfortable with, but I didn't, um, I couldn't quite figure out why, which may sound insincere to some, but genuinely I couldn't figure out why I was uncomfortable. It took me a while to figure out that I was uncomfortable because it had racism in it. Um, but I was in a kind of you know, I was on the editorial board. He had put together the student newspaper. And so I went ahead and let that go, that piece go through, even though I felt deeply uncomfortable with it. And, in, and all I did was say, take my name off of it. I want it to be clear that this wasn't written by me. Nonetheless, I allowed it to pass on through. I would say that was a, a moment, a very specific moment in which I engaged in racist behavior by not interrupting that and saying to that that colleague peer of mine, hey, you know, this is not going to get published because it was very hurtful to 
well, it was hurtful to the whole community, but especially to um, African-American and Latino people on campus. Um, so, you know, again, that's another moment where I actively participated in racism. But, I mean, you know, any, any sort of, any of the networks in my life that have been um, formed because of, you know, out of a system of white racial dominance, which so, so much of U.S. social structures are, then, of course, I'm participating in that all the time from, you know, sort of any, any, many of the journeys that I've had in my life just sort of moving through. So some people call that white privilege. I agree with you. That's not a strong enough term for it. Um, but, you know, so, you know, the, the newspaper is specific incident I'm giving you. I can name that as explicitly racist behavior, but in terms of participating in racism, um, you know, those are larger pathways throughout, you know, throughout my life, just like the life of many, many, most, maybe all U.S. Americans, right? Um, so I have no interest in pretending that that's not the case. Hmm. Context of white supremacy. I also want to make it clear for our international listeners, when I talk about racism, white supremacy, this is a world problem, world system, not anything that is uh, exclusive uh, to the United States. Um, Reverend Harvey, I wanted to ask you, there was an article that was written uh, about say a year and a half ago, I was written by a non-white person, uh, but he was talking about racism. This is in a pretty major uh, publication uh, where he writes, he says, white people are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough. And the question I wanted to ask you as a white woman and a professor at that, like you study, you publish books and articles on this topic from your study, uh, your time around white people, your family, friends, do you think that the first portion of this sentence is accurate. White people, like a significant, a sizable number of white people, are often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Is that a true statement to your experience, Reverend Harvey? The, the, the first part are sincerely pained by it? Sincere, often sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Do you think that is true for a significant number of white people? I do think a significant number of white people are, are sincerely pained by it, but I agree that um, most white people are not pained enough by it. How do, how do the white people who are, Hello? sorry about that. Um, no, that's the, okay. the white people that you allege are sincerely and greatly pained by racism. Uh, how do they demonstrate this sincere and great pain? And it, and it said often too. So how do they often sincerely and greatly uh, demonstrate this pain about racism? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, honestly, I feel like now we're speaking in such generalities. I'm, I'm, sort of being pushed to defend something I've, I'm not interested in defending. I know that I know that white Americans who, for example, have named distress, sadness, horror in response to, for example, the, um, you know, just in the last two years, not because it was new, but because it was more visible to them, you know, the, the men, women, and children who've been killed by police officers, for example. I do think that I don't, I don't have numbers. I don't want to pretend to argue about numbers because I don't. But I, I know many white Americans who articulate and feel distress, outrage, and pain about that rampant violence. Hmm. Um, 
if I'm, I'm just trying to make an assessment, right, I think racism, white supremacy is such a massive problem and it affects such large numbers of people. I mean, we're talking billions of non-white people on the planet are being victimized by this. So you do have, in my view, it's accurate. Uh, you have to talk in general terms accurately, uh, being truthful. Uh, but that is a part of what this is. Um, the question that I ask in terms of white people being often sincerely and greatly pained by racism, uh, you said that there were a number of white people who were uh, upset, right, outraged about the police uh, shootings and, and what have you. Uh, it's been my, my experience that when white people, when they are genuinely upset, outraged about something, they take action, uh, whatever it happens to be. If that means that we need to spend a whole lot of money, if that means we need to mobilize troops and send them halfway around the world, whatever it is, uh, we get it done. Uh, these police killings just keep happening and keep happening and keep happening. I have seen no sincere and great effort on the part of white people to stop this from happening. That to me greatly, I mean, just the fact that white supremacy still exists greatly in my view undermines the notion that a lot of white people are really upset about this problem. Uh, do you disagree? No, I don't disagree, which is what I said at the beginning. I didn't want to say a lot of white people like, I'm a, I, like, the, the generality question for me is important, which is why I said I don't want to talk about, I mean, I can't talk about numbers. I don't, I live in the world that I live in as opposed to sort of having a, a grand sort of, um, you know, set of data about who, and I agree with you that if, if, if a majority of white people or if the people in power who are white were sincerely distressed, then we would have ended it the way we end many other things and mobilized all kinds of resources to end it. So I don't disagree with you. Okay. This is one of those, in, in my view, where I, I think you could be practicing racism. Okay. This is one okay. of those. In, I, I this is. Hang on one second. This is one of those instances, uh, in my view, because we've I've asked a lot of white people this question over a number of years now, and we have had a sizable number of white people who have just said that statement is not true. And again, I feel like frequently. I feel like often within the system of white supremacy, uh, people give out inaccurate information about racism, particularly about white people. Uh, and a lot of times they, they really minimize white people's commitment, devotion to the maintenance of white supremacy. I think that happens uh, often. That's something that I try to really uh, call attention to uh, in conversations and I pointing that out for listeners. I think a good bit of that is happening uh, even in, in the, in the course of the dialogue here. Um, the, the next question that I want to uh, get to, uh, and just even for listeners, because I'm sure we have some non-white people, uh, Reverend Harvey, do you think it's logical? Do you think it's, it makes sense for non-white people to uh, suspect any white person, including yourself, could be racist? Of, of course that makes sense. Okay. I, I, I absolutely <clears throat> assume. I don't know why someone who was not white or who was a person of color would ever trust a white person. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. There's no evidence on which people of color would, could go that would make sense to trust white people. So I'm not, I, I don't, and I'm not interested in making a case that people of color should trust white people at all. Got it. Appreciate that. Um, That's not what I'm after in my own life. I mean, I, you know. Okay. Um, Based on evidence, uh, and this might be one of those where it's looking in general, but I think 
that is a part of racism, white supremacy. For listeners, if you do not agree, that's fine. But I think it's very important. I think particularly with individuals who classify themselves as white, I think there are clear, evident patterns uh, in terms of their behavior, uh, both historically uh, and geographically. Uh, again, this is not a lot of these racist patterns are not anything that's exclusive to the United States. Just based on evidence and logic, should one conclude that whites collectively value white supremacy more than justice? Yes. Okay. As you said before, if they didn't, we would have ended it a long time ago. I'm not, I don't think I, I don't disagree with that at all. Okay. I got the impression from a good bit of your work, even the, the audio segment at the beginning, I got the impression that that can be changed, uh, that maybe, you know, through work, literature, conferences, conversations, white people maybe can change their values so that they value justice more than white supremacy. And I just haven't seen any evidence that that's true. Am I misreading? Um, well, I don't, I don't know if you're misreading the evidence. Mm-hmm. I do believe white people, so I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know what evidence you're looking at. I do think there's very little evidence, um, but I also do believe white people can change because I have seen it and I have participated in multiracial communities mm-hmm. where some white people do take on that work and do change and do mobilize. Quite frankly, I, have, I am not claiming it's the majority. I am not claiming it's easy. I'm not claiming that that means people of color should trust them, but I do believe white people can change, and that doesn't mean we'll ever be perfect at it or ever completely disavow white supremacy. Um, When you wake up every day in a system that sucks you back in and back in, it's a constant fight and journey. So I'm not making any claims about that, but I do believe that white people can change, but I don't have any interest in convincing you that I'm correct and you are incorrect. I can understand why that's your perspective. Okay. Is that a reasonable perspective to take or am I just being a little loony here and saying I just don't see the evidence? No, I don't think you're being, I don't think you're loony. I think that's a very reasonable perspective. Okay. The evidence is not largely there that white people can change. Right. And, um, though I have seen that and I have um, been on that journey myself, I also know that it's a very small minority when you look at at the big picture and I, and I appreciate why, as well, given the, the layers and layers and layers of, of violence and injustice and resource, um, sort of inequity of resources and resource um, hoarding that, that whites do through white supremacy, why any person of color would, would not conclude that white people can change. So I think that's a reasonable perspective that does not, you know, I, I have seen it, but it's not the majority. So... No, you are not. I don't think you're loony. And even if I, you know, even if I did, that's still, you know, I can, your perspective makes perfect sense to me. Speaking just for yourself, Reverend Jennifer Harvey, can you uh, today, March 29, Wednesday, 2017, say that uh, you have redeemed your values, your behavior, where racism, white supremacy is no longer reflected uh, in your thoughts, speech, actions, emotional responses, where everything is in line with justice. Can you say that about yourself? Absolutely not. Hmm. I could not say that about myself. I don't think any human being 100% gets to that benchmark. 
Um, there, there may be a few people that do, but I, there's nobody who is participating. I mean, I have a job. I wake up every day and go to a job that I partly have access to because of the, the racial violence and injustice in this country. So I would never say that. that I, I, I will probably never be 100%. I can say to you, I'm committed to working at it every day, and I'm committed to engaging in activism against white supremacy in a constant way in my life. Hmm. But that doesn't make me good or, you know, divested of white supremacy. Author and professor at Drake University, uh, Reverend Jennifer Harvey, context of white supremacy, your New York Times piece, are we raising racists, question mark, uh, as I stated at the intro, uh, pointing out the importance of talking to uh, white children in particular about racism and talking to them honestly. Uh, you write studies show uh, that such parents are two to five times more likely, that's non-white parents, studies show that non-white parents are two to times two to five times more likely than whites to teach their children explicitly about race from very young ages to counter negative social messages and build a strong sense of identity. Um, this sentence, uh, it struck me and you did have some data within the, uh, the article uh, to bolster these numbers. Uh, my general sense is that this is not accurate, uh, that white people talk to their children a lot about racism directly and indirectly. Uh, we had Joe Feagan on the program a years back from his book, Two-Faced Racism. He had uh, anecdotes in the book uh, where white children were hearing racist jokes from their family. And these were like five-year-old, not quite two, but close five-year-olds were hearing racist jokes from their like white uncles and other family members and they were going to school and repeating them and that caused a stir yeah. i just see a lot of and, and over a long period of time and globally i see a lot of evidence that white children someone has talked to them about their role as a white man a white woman what is going to be expected of them in the system of white supremacy what's your response my response is um i agree my sentence said white families don't counter those negative messages. So yes, that is actually, I, I think that's accurate to say many, many, many white children are taught by adults and are exposed constantly to racist messaging. And that was the point of my sentence, is that parents of children of color are two to five times more likely to explicitly counter those messages. And white parents who don't want their children to be explicitly taught racism don't step in and counter that messaging. So, yes, I agree with you. No, no. Uh, well, I will restate because we're not in agreement. What I'm saying, the way that your sentence is okay. written, that whites, uh, that non-white parents are more likely than whites to teach their children explicitly about race. Just the way that it's written right there, I do not agree with that. I well, think you, that wait, wait, wait. White, okay, Hang on one second. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. Okay. I can read the whole sentence again. That's no problem. Studies show that non-white parents are two to five times more likely than whites to teach their children explicitly about race from very young ages to counter negative social messages and build a strong sense of identity. And I'm saying I do not agree. I understand that you're saying that this is supposed to imply or suggest that non-white uh, parents are teaching their non-white children about racism and to not participate in it or that it's out there, it's a problem, whatever it is. And white parents don't do this, uh, whatever they're, if they're talking to them directly about racism, they don't do this. And I'm saying just all of that, it's not accurate. It, in my view, it pushes that same notion that the problem is that white children 
they're just not getting accurate information either. And I think even one of the things you said in your article, not talking to them at all, you said in your article, not talking to them at all, they're still going to be getting these messages from everywhere. And what I'm saying, again, we're minimizing. I've the evidence shows white parents, white uncles, white grandmothers, white aunts, they have done a lot of talking to their white offspring over the years about how to maintain white supremacy. That's obvious. And I'm just showing the pattern in your work. It's, it's minimizing the deliberate effort that white people put into maintaining this. It's giving a way, in my view, just way inaccurate view of this as though this can be redeemed or we just got to get correct information to them. That's what I'm saying to be clear. Okay. Okay. I, I hear you that you think I was minimizing. I, it's hard for me to see that because I wasn't talking about white people generally, but, mm-hmm. I, but I, I hear you that you see that as minimizing. One of our uh, previous guests uh, on the program, Dr. Ani, she's at the University of Albany in New York. Uh, she was here just last month. Uh, we talked about some of her work, and she specifically uh, I sent her your piece because uh, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, she also does a lot of religious studies uh, from a slightly different context, and she also does a lot of work on white supremacy. But I sent her your New York Times piece, uh, and she said the same thing, like, wow, this has a over- lot of uh, overlap with some of the work that she's done. Uh, her response, and she has a question for you specifically. So this is her response to your article question included. So Dr. Anis says, uh, the obvious problem here is white people are immigrants and not only immigrants, but hostile and unwelcome ones. And racism, white supremacy is much more than a consequence of not having conversations with our children about bad things white people did. What did George Washington and the rest of them bury Oh, excuse me. What did George Washington and the rest of them bury their cultural legacy and accumulated material wealth with them? No, they passed it on. We must talk about who they are and what they have become in the past 500 years of global genocide, colonialism, theft and terrorism. Clearly, Reverend Harvey sees herself as an American with little to no trouble reconciling the bad things white men like George Washington and their women did. If she had a conscience about it, then this would have been her first response to her female child. Question for Reverend Harvey. Given that racism, white supremacy is a European problem of personality born out of long traditions of violence and a lack of conscience about about being violent, what more must be done to resolve their racist superiority complex than cozy conversations that will ultimately mean a yet protracted climb toward justice and peace for 90% of the world. Did you get her question at the end? Uh, I think a lot more needs to be done than cozy conversation. Um, I think we have to be um, activists. We need to be in the streets. We need to be supporting the movement for black lives. We need to be advocating for reparations. Um, so I, it, I mean, is that, is that what the question is seeking to elicit in terms of my sense of things? I don't think cozy conversations will do it either. I, I agree with that. Um, I don't only have cozy conversations in my life. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree that that's not enough. It's, I don't I think we have to have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You said, I think we have to have. I think we have to have uh, 
starting from very, very, very young ages with our children, more complex, multi-layered, truthful conversations. Um, and in addition, we need to be doing a whole host of other things to, to fight white supremacy. Hmm. So I don't think I've ever claimed that cozy conversations would do it. I wrote one short piece. That's one snippet of my life. Hmm. I think, and, and again, Dr. Adney, she can certainly eloquently speak for herself, um, but I think she might have some of the same uh, perspectives on your writing uh, that I've seen, not just in this New York Times piece, but in some of your other work uh, as well. And even your response to today uh, that seemed to suggest strongly that white people can be redeemed. Uh, and I'm saying that that entire paradigm, that entire way of thinking about racism, white supremacy, uh, it's flawed. It's dangerous. Uh, and in my view, when I hear that from white people, that could be deliberate, willful, conscious act of white supremacy, because that's just not what we're talking about. We're talking about a group of people who have devoted, dedicated themselves to terrorizing non-white people. That's what racism is, the highest form of terrorism. I'm, I'm just saying that that's, that's two radically different ways of thinking about racism. I could be incorrect, and listeners are certainly willing to uh, or encouraged to dial in and ask a question or let me know if, you know, uh, I'm not presenting things in an accurate manner. Um, Dr. Ani, a lot of her work also, she focuses on uh, the role of white women in maintaining white supremacy. I think she and I, one point of agreement is that a lot of times we talk about this problem and it, and it will focus on white males. Uh, you as a white woman, yeah. uh, can you speak to the role that white women like yourself play in maintaining white supremacy? White women play a huge role in maintaining white supremacy. And I think we many times, I mean, you can see this in a number of places, but one of them, you know, one of the places that we've seen it even is in, you know, feminist movements claiming to be about all gender equality, but continuing to perpetuate um, white supremacy. And so, for example, um, you know, when, you know, feminists talk about real gendered crises like sexual assault and violence, um, against women, but don't talk about and connect. Um, and this is something that Ann Braden used to, to talk about all the time, but, you know, n not talking about the history of racialized violence against black men in, in sort of defense of white womanhood, then feminist movements perpetuate that same white supremacy within their movement. So I think white women are completely bound up um, in the same structures, you know, including because white women are often plugged into family networks where wealth is being hoarded and, um, you know, they're playing certain kind of gatekeepers, gatekeeper roles relative to white supremacy. So I think white women are just as complicit in this, in this, you know, long, long, long ancient legacy and the structures we're all living in as a result. Hmm. Just, I mean, where Martha Washington was a person, right? She knew what was going on. She, she knew, was participating in, um, you know, she, she was enslaving African people as well. Um, she was right, you know, she was right there. So they were both doing it. Hmm. Uh, just because I have read one of the biographies on Anne Braden, and I remember uh, speaking with the author, uh, she too, in my view, uh, suspected white supremacist, and I'm very aware of her work, and I remember pointing out specifically her making a request to put Dr. King in further jeopardy uh, to help she and her husband uh, maintain their house. They were having some difficulties for their work or what have you, which I just find appalling for many reasons, and the author uh, agreed when we had her on the program, but that notwithstanding... Um, 
when we're talking about white women and their role, Dr. Ani uh, and her tremendous work, uh, she got me an advanced copy and everything to the mothers of white men. One of the things that is so crucial, she points out, uh, it's often said women are the first teachers. If we're talking about a system of white terrorism where white men have gone out and done all of these savage and cruel things, raping black people and killing black people and non-white people in mass worldwide, uh, if the first teacher is that white mother, then she is playing an extraordinary role in terms of the mindset, the mentality uh, that has unleashed generations, centuries now, uh, of white racist to terrorize the world. Uh, can you speak to that, Reverend Harvey? I, I think that's true. I mean, I think white women, especially in family structures in which they have done more of the parenting when that's been the case, then, of you know, it would make perfect sense to me that they're, you know, doing some of the earliest socialization of, of their children, right? So, um, you know, different family structures look differently and different class, you know, sort of different locations in the whole um, class strata might, might make this look different. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think white women are any further away from the um, depth of the formation of, of white children. And I'm, and certainly in many, many cases, they're first on the front lines because they're work, you know, they're, they're oftentimes those that are raising the babies. Mm. Oh, I can get in. And I point this out all the time when we talk about the uh, school to prison pipeline and disparities in school suspensions mm -hmm. and yes. all of that. The data that I've seen, 70 percent of public school teachers are white women. I've said for about a yep. year and a half now, wouldn't that mean that white women would have to be at the center of the school to prison pipeline? Is that accurate? Do you think, uh, Reverend Harvey? Yeah. Yeah, I do, because. You know, that's the, I mean, yeah, the demographics, the teaching demographics in our schools, and we have this in Des Moines, um, and, and folks are, you know, activistly trying to challenge it. But, of course, if, it, if white teachers are doing the disciplining, which is getting especially African-American boy children sent to, instead of, you know, sent to, um, <laughs> sent to, you know, get, bringing them into contact with police, which then ends up sending them on a course towards prison, then, yeah, that is accurate. Context of white supremacy. I want to get some of our folks who have callers. They have a few people who dialed in who have a question for you, Reverend Harvey. Uh, the number 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. I'm so glad that you brought up again that you are dialing us uh, from Iowa this evening uh, only because of racism, white supremacy and paying more attention to it and really focusing on what's happening locally, nationally, globally. I know who one of your Congress members is, uh, Steve yeah. King, who I just yeah. wrote about uh, for all of the talk that you do about what white Christians need to do. Your congressman, Steve King, has talked a lot about the assault that and he never says white. What he says is Western Christian values or Western civilization, Western Christian civilization, the assault that is he never puts it in racial terms. But I think a lot of people have said I think he's just using, you know, some coded language to talk about racism, white supremacy. There was an article in The New York Times today about your congressman, Steve King. And 
in that article, they linked to the Times Herald, which is one of your local newspapers. They had an article that just came out in the last few months. Uh, Congressman King could use nigger daily, still get reelected here. And this goes back to the point that I've made the whole time. I think the point that Dr. Aeneas raised, I just want to read this and get your thoughts since you are a fellow citizen of Iowa. Uh, In this column, it reads, King's comments are no surprise to Iowans. They aren't an aberration. King's brain blasts fly into our lives in a predictable and abhorrent landing pattern. We reinforce secondly, excuse me, we reinforce and second loudly here hearing our man every two years as King racks up huge margins in reelection bids. When King speaks, We own his words, all of us, his supporters and failed detractors like me. Either you backed him 1,600, excuse me, 169,834 people voted for King in 2014 or you weren't good enough to beat him. Count our editorial pages on the losing team here. And then he named some other folks, the the other papers in Iowa that I guess uh, did not endorse Steve King and he won anyway. Uh, and he says, or you don't care. Uh, and I would just add, or you're racist and you agree with the things he said. And I would, I would add, since I just wrote about it, one of the things that Congressman Steve King has also done is endorse publicly Camp of the Saints, uh, which is all about raping uh, black people and invading non-white hordes coming to ruin uh, Western Christian white civilization. Uh, can you talk about your uh, elected congressman, uh, Steve King? Um, I find Steve King abhorrent, and I think he is shameful, and he is horrifying, and there are many, many Iowans in Iowa, myself included, who um, are out, you know, horrified that he continues to be reelected as a representative. I don't live in his, in his district, so he's certainly not someone I have voted for. Um, but he's, you know, he gives the state of Iowa, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's abhorrent. So I don't know how to disavow him any stronger than, I mean, he's, I can't, there are not enough words to disavow what he stands for and what he teaches. And, um, there are many Iowans of many different racial groups who agree with that. So. And you all are on the losing team, if you do, according to the Times Herald, which and in my view, again, we're just we're missing the obvious here for him to be and not just elected once. Like, this is not a fluke thing. Like he just wins and wins and wins and gets to contend. He said these types of things for years. Isn't that right? Reverend Harvey, it's not just a new thing. Him coming out and talking, like I said, endorsing campus. No, it's not new. OK, so he's done this for years and he just keeps getting reelected. That's what I mean when I say individuals like yourself, white people, you all know white people, you know, the Iowans who keep electing Steve King. He keeps going out and saying these things and the papers denounce him and talk track, almost like what happened with the 2016 election. And he still wins that to me evidences white people. We are committed to racism, white supremacy. Steve King is our guy. Get out there and tell him about campus. Say, get on those immigrants, man. Get that get out there and do it. Elected again. Steve Katz suspect he'll win again in 2018. We'll have to pay attention to see if it happens. Uh, the folks who dialed in, we'll get some of our uh, callers for Reverend uh, Harvey. There are a lot of folks who dialed with a hand up, so we'll try and get folks, if you all can be uh, efficient 
with your question right to it, and that way we can hopefully get everybody. Uh, Thomas in New York, if you had a question for Reverend Harvey, you should be with us. Thomas in New York, did you have a question? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Reverend Harvey. Good evening. Um, great. Um, I, I had two questions for you. The first one is, um, being that you are a Christian, uh, Reverend, in the study of theology, uh, the preacher teacher of theology, what role um, in maintaining and in, in, um, creating and maintaining the system of racism and white supremacy um, does white Christianity play? Um, being that most of the founding fathers were Christians and um, they came here and they enslaved people um, under the name of Christ. I just want to know what role do you think um, Christianity plays in that system? So I'm not, I couldn't I couldn't hear the question very well. I, if there is there more to it than the, what role Christianity has played in the white supremacist system? And Gus, you can, maybe you can tell me if you heard more clearly if there's other parts of the question beyond that. That seemed, I, I thought that was the the general gist of it. Yeah, what role has Christianity played in? Okay, great. I just didn't I couldn't hear very well. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, well, Christianity has been white Christianity has been um, part of. I mean as you have said, Gus, part of the global system of European white dominance, starting with the, you know, 1400s when Europeans set sail. And so Christianity has been part and parcel of the the process of, you know, displacing and, and committing genocide against indigenous peoples and generated the enslavement of African peoples. So, and, and as that took root on this particular land base, it's, um, you know, it's been involved at every turn in support of white supremacy, white Christianity, black Christianity, not so. But there's a difference. You see a difference between white and black Christianity. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me the difference? Well, white Christianity, I mean, if we talk about just the 1700s and 1800s and in, in what eventually became the United States, white Christianity was preaching and teaching that God ordained servitude for African peoples, black Christianity was preaching and claiming that God had a plan for liberation and exodus, um, and that, that, you know, African peoples were, you know, had inherent dignity and, um, you know, that God is a God of liberation. So they, they couldn't be more different. I don't think there is one Christianity. Interesting. Okay. Um, my last question, um, is, as it relates to um, the beginning clip that Gus played to you, um, which you're talking, um, do you think that there's any way that white people have an honest conversation about racism, white supremacy, and be comfortable having that conversation? And I'll mute my line. Thank you. I, I don't think, I think, I think if it's an honest conversation, white people, uh, need to be uncomfortable because discomfort means usually means more truth telling is happening. It doesn't always mean that sometimes discomfort is not a result of that, but discomfort often means that. And there's no way for white people to um, journey and grow into um, anti-racism and divesting ourselves from white supremacy without getting uncomfortable, very uncomfortable at, at, you know, for significant portions of that journey. 
right on. Uh, the person who called in, uh, let's see, last four digits. Oh, uh, this is wireless. I think this might be Roz. I'm struggling with the new switchboard today. See if we can get it together. Uh, 1989. Caller at 1989. Did you have a question for Reverend Harvey? 1989? Yes. Uh, greetings, Roz. Greeting guests. Uh, my question real quick was, especially with you being a reverend, you brought up a lot of points. I figured that one of the callers would bring it up, but you end up bringing it up. Uh, white people watching black people get murdered, whether it's on TV, uh, social media, or what have you. Uh, things like Dylan Roof coming in and using that white Christianity to uh, compel to our emotions. And you being a professor and representing that same thing that comes in right before that comes in right before the uh, the armies. How do you feel when you look at yourself, knowing that you represent the same thing that always starts the demise of the black community? Uh that I represent that as a participant in Christianity? Is that the question? Yes. Well, so my my um, experience of that is that, again, there are many kinds of Christianity, and my people, yes, that is the form of Christianity. You know, white Christianity has been, um, has has absolutely played that role and I have a lot of um, problems with the institution of Christianity for many many reasons white supremacy being one of them Um, and I also think just as any part of the social system that I'm part of is is comes out of white supremacy that as someone sort of identified with that institution um, I'm you know, engaged in critique and challenge and um, repentance and um, uh, sort of a posture of, um, uh, I don't know quite what the right word is, but resistance to that, to that history and, and the ways it still shows up in the present. All that, right, well, okay. not really, not really, but, but thank you anyway. I appreciate it, Gus. Okay, thank you. Hey, Gus, I have a quick question for you, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, so, that's okay. My, so my understanding was we were, we were on for an hour. Is this, um, is it longer than an hour? Like, we're 8 to 10. Uh, there are other folks who have uh, questions. If you could spare a moment, I guess, to just get the folks who dialed in to get their uh, quick question in, that would be appreciated. Oh, I, okay. You're, I didn't, I didn't see eight to 10. I can give you about five more minutes. Okay. I am really sorry. I did we'll not see. know it was eight till 10. <laughs> okay. We'll see. If I we thought can. it was 15 minutes. Okay. We'll uh, cover okay. as many as we Great. can. The caller at, uh, six, six, three, six, one. Did you have a question for Reverend Harvey? Last four digits, 6361. Did you have a question, or are you just listening? Uh, yes. Um, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yep. yep. Awesome. Um, I have a question for the guest. Um, 
Has, uh, yes, have you uh, admitted to uh, being a racist? Being a what? Racist. Uh, yes, I think all white people are racist. <laughs> that is part of the air that we breathe. It, it's, we're, I, I think people are formed by the environments we're in, and we are all in a system of white supremacy. So, yes. Do you think that, do you think that racism is terrorism? I think racism can be a form of terror, yes. How do you think that victims of terrorism should deal with their uh, victimizers? I don't, I, I, I would not presume to speak on that behalf. So, uh, all right. What is the there most, are many different ways to, what's that? What is the most harm that you've done personally while practicing racism? as a racist. Okay, so I've given a lot of um, storytelling from a from a, as authentic as I can be placed in this hour, and my understanding, so I don't, I, I'm going to, at this point, stop telling more personal stories, um, and if the, if the conversation is unsatisfactory from that perspective, great, but I've told many stories and given a lot of uh, my journey, so I'm not going to go into further storytelling about my own uh, journey Understood. in that way. Typical. I think. Um, I, I'll hang tight, Mister. Hang tight, Mister. Yeah, right on. Uh, Emmy, did you? Oh, she didn't have a hand up. Uh, caller at eight one six two eight one six two. Did you have a question for Reverend Harvey? Uh, my question was asked. Thank you, though. Grand. Caller at eight six one seven eight six one seven. Did you have yeah, a question? Yeah, this will have to be the last one, my friend. <laughs> Hmm. That's not that's not five minutes. I was looking at the clock. <laughs> Eight six one seven. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I be? Here? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Okay. All right. Greetings, Gus and uh, Reverend Harvey. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to give a quote uh, from a video that I saw of a sermon that you did, and uh, one of the questions that, or one of the things that you said, you said whiteness for now is the embodiment of an unjust material relationship, or excuse me, of unjust material relationships that have continued since the exception of this country. What does that mean? If you could expound on that, please. I'll take my hands offline. Thank you. That means white people, and I do mostly think about and look at the United States, but I don't disagree with the global reality, are still today actively benefiting from the, um, the theft of resources, the um, ongoing violence against communities of color, the um, experience of being centered and insulated in a system that is damaging and destroying many, many communities, not just African-American communities, but many communities of color. And that, for now, is what whiteness means until and unless more and more and more people who are categorized as white challenge and fight and change those realities alongside of and in support of and behind in behind the work and the activism that communities of color are already and have long been engaged in. That's what I mean. Okay. Just, we should have 60 that, seconds. We, hang on one second. We should have okay, 60 just, seconds for, sure. for a final question. We have 60 seconds. 
sure. Okay. We'll get one more caller in. Uh, caller in Detroit. Did you have a question for Reverend Harvey? Yes, Mabby Heard. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, I just wanted to know, you said that um, you're a Christian, and Christianity, from what I believe, uh, promotes forgiveness. Um, do you think that victims of white racism, white supremacy, should forgive white people for the mistreatment um, under the doctrine of Christianity? And do you promote forgiveness? I do not promote forgiveness, especially uh, for or on behalf of a community that I'm not part of. And I also think, I think if or when white supremacy was ended and challenged and we were in a radically different place, whether or not to forgive would be a conversation that the the persons who'd been harmed and damaged and victimized by white supremacy would, would that would be their conversation, their decisions to make. Um, and I, I don't see within Christianity any overarching insistence on forgiveness, and I certainly don't teach that. And especially not when okay. the violence and, and harm is still going on and being done. <laughs> yeah. One more question. Can I get one more question? I know you're trying to get off. You bet. One more question. Okay, thank you. Who do you think is most confused about racism, white supremacy? Black people or non-white? Uh, white people or non-white? Why? And thanks for taking my call. I'll mute myself and listen to your answer. Uh, thank you. I absolutely think white people are more confused about racism and white supremacy. And the the people in my life who have, um, for whatever set of choices and reasons they wanted to, have challenged and taught and nudged me along have been people of color because they, in my experience, have been the people that understand and have the accurate, deep understanding and knowledge of, of racism and white supremacy. And I, I, I have learned the most from those people in my life who have been um, willing to put in the time pushing me along, even when it was sometimes uncomfortable. So white people are far more confused. And the whole point of all of this hinges on whether or not that is true. <laughs> Just to make sure I leave okay. no doubt in my stance, unequivocally, Gusty Renegade says that is false. White people are the experts. White people like Professor Reverend Jennifer Harvey are the experts on white supremacy, what it is, how it works no contest like either that's true or it's not and that is where we will wrap things um if i could make a request as you depart since you are at drake university i do a lot of research it would be helpful if you could get me uh, access just so i can go online and research because they have a lot of you know white people have a lot of information that they have digitized and just great resources it would be great to access is that something that you'd be willing to work on so that i can just go online and look at, you know, the books and different research projects and what have you uh, that related to racism? I have no idea if I could make that happen. I don't know that I have any power able, uh, sort of in, 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 in order to make that happen, but I know that, they, that the databases they have, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, can't, I can't in good faith answer that question on the air because I don't know what, if that would even be possible. But You could inquire. Um, so... You could inquire to see if it's possible, right? I would be happy to inquire. Okay. Yes. Are you? Are, is that something you're willing to do? You? You? Is that something that sure. you will do? Okay. I'll inquire for you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. 
Grant having you on the program. Thank you so much for your time. For sure. Reverend Jennifer Harvey, have a grand evening. You do the same. Mm-hmm. Context of white supremacy. The, uh, I asked uh, Melissa Stein. She was on the program, if folks remember, uh, last spring. Uh, it was about, I think it was last May. It was last May. She was on the program. And we talked about her book, uh, Measuring Manhood. Uh, if folks recall, I asked her if she'd be down to do the same thing so that I could get university uh, access. I can just go to the University of Washington. It is very close, but I mean, it's, uh, I would prefer to just remain in my rocking chair on the front porch and <laughs> just go online and get whatever I need as opposed to having to go down the block to the library. But at any rate, uh, Melissa Stein, she did not secure uh, the access, she did get me a few files, but she did not get uh, the access. White woman, race soldier, <laughs> what can you say? Um, one thing that I will say uh, sparked my memory because so many people, so many white people have said that over the years, that white people are more confused uh, about racism, uh, white supremacy. I think it ties, at least to me, it relates very much to the notion that we are not victims. Uh, at least I know I have experienced a lot of black people and a lot of non-white people, uh, a lot of non-white people in total who are just repulsed by the term victim or thinking of themselves as a victim of racism. I think it's very much in the same line with this, this nonsense about white people being ignorant about race, almost like white people are the victims of racism because they're so stupid that they don't know what's going on. But it reminded me there was this amazing uh, report uh, that I heard when Mr. Fuller, when he says, uh, try to learn something about everything. Uh, I listened to this uh, program just on the basis of technology. Like I've been wanting for the entire year to do a program just to talk about how technology is impacting uh, racism, white supremacy. It's advancing so quickly. I mean, it's, it's, uh, rapidly uh, changing how things operate uh, in the world. I think I had uh, mentioned it previously just about um, fences. Uh, people saw fences, right? Viola Davis, right? She won uh, an Academy Award, I think, uh, for her role. But Denzel Washington, he's a sanitation worker. And they had three sanitation workers on the truck. This is, I think, like 1950s, 1960s, Pittsburgh. And uh, I said, wow, just in... 50 years time now it's one person and very soon it's going to be zero uh this sparked a lengthy dialogue that i've had with a non-white listener about uh how soon uh driverless cars are going to just be the norm where that's just you know everybody has a driverless or has access is regularly in uh a driverless car and i said uh 25 years that was that was what I put on it. I said, I think about 25 years, that's what it's going to be. Uh, but, I mean, it's rapid. Uh, like, even, even Black Mirror, uh, that was one of the things that also I paid attention to in watching that series. We talked about it with Dr. Martin Kevorkian is technology. But that's something that I've really been trying to pay uh, more attention to with a counter-racist lens. Uh, but there was this great report uh, on The Guardian, and they were talking about uh, how technology gets people... Uh, addicted, right, <laughs> to just using apps. They were talking about a variety of different games that apply to counter-racism. I will see if I can 
uh, share. I did not plan to play this today, so it might take me a second or two to figure out the exact spot uh, in the uh, clip where it is uh, for people listening live, but I think it'll be worth it. In the meantime, if people have commentary that they would like to share uh, based on uh, the performance from Reverend Jennifer Harvey, we will certainly uh, make time uh, if you uh, want to get any thoughts in. I think there were a few people that we missed. I tried to get uh, as many folks in uh, as possible. I will say for the record, I did not say that the program was uh, eight to nine uh, in the email. I just said uh, the program is uh, 8 p.m. Eastern or Central, whatever uh, her time. I think she might even be in Central. Uh, so for her, it would have been 7 p.m. But at any rate, um, I did not say eight to nine on the email. Uh, for folks who dialed in, uh, I will try to get people that might not have been able to ask a question at all. Uh, just, you know, if you want to share, sorry, she was not able to stay uh, longer. But uh, if you want to share you, what your question was going to be, or if you just want to share your observation, I'll try and see if we can get the people who didn't get to comment at all. Uh, three, two, four, six, did we miss you completely? Did you not get to share at all? Last four digits, three, two, four, six. Oh, try again. Hmm. It's not. Oh, there it is. Oh, it did not. I thought I, I got it, and it did not. Let's see. I'm not sure why it's not uh, unmuting. I'm I'm tapping your line to open open up your line so that you can speak. Let me try somebody else's line to see if it's uh, a general problem. Uh, the caller. How interesting. Seems this one is not working either. I'm gonna. I will refresh uh, my page, uh, and then I'll try to get the people who have not been able to share at all. Hello? Yes, hello, can I be heard? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, hello? Yes, we can hear you. Uh, Sweden Gus, oh, hello? Yes, we can hear you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, Sweden Gus, I just wanted to say, um, uh, it's just typical, you know, like once that pressure uh, starts to build, they always pretend that I guess they didn't get the proper email of how, how lengthy the, the show is going to be. And um, it's just the thing that I always hear, uh, you know, we're the smartest people when it comes to that area. But other than that, uh, we hadn't built anything. We had not accomplished anything. We're the dumbest people on the planet and we're in Syria, XYZ. And I find that to be very, very interesting. Every time they say we're the experts in that one area that they actually control, but I mean it's just standard right? I, I I don't expect anything of this. Why not? Anybody else that we missed uh, completely who did not get to uh, ask a question? Any other folks that we missed completely who didn't get to ask a, a question? Perhaps no. Okay. Uh, other folks who died. Yes, going to be heard. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. We can hear you. Oh, I can't be heard. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, okay. Greetings. Greetings, everyone. Uh, yes, I uh, listened uh, to most of the uh, the program. And one thing I noticed about white people, uh, when they come on uh, this program, because it is more in depth in its relationship or relationships with white people. Uh, and that white person, and I, and of course I agree with white people being the experts on racism. They quickly understand, well, this, this is not, this is not Muted. a group of uh, niggas who are uh, talking about racism, white supremacy. And she got well ahead of the of the uh, uh, atmosphere in the program, and immediately uh, stated that it is, it is out of bounds. Unmuted. Talk about her, and I find that a find that as a definite act of racist white supremacy because there has a white person has to. Uh, entertain a conversation about themselves personally and be asked the most intrinsic questions about themselves uh, as, as non-white people. Uh, we should not be uh, rejected from asking white people as a collective and white people personally about their personal uh, uh, sales in regards to the global system of racist white supremacy. And uh, I, I noticed that uh, in a lot of cases when a white person comes on uh, because, you know, we, we're, we are, we are searching in this quest. We're searching for uh, honesty. So how else can you uh, uh, obtain a, a gain anything from the subject and a person of honesty and a person don't want to talk about themselves. You know, they, they may, they may, uh, indict some examples of, uh, a white people as a collective about practicing racism, that sort of thing. And for the most part that satisfies most non-white people. But when the subject matter is turned to them personally, is what's much more important, in my opinion. And uh, for the most part, uh, they either don't want to engage into it and or uh, lie about it. And uh, I find it very interesting. And that's, that's what I have to say for right now. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Uh, are there other folks uh, who had commentary? I think we may have Can got. Yes, ma'am. Can I be? You're heard? breaking up a lot, Gus. You're breaking up a lot. He is. Okay. Um, greeting everybody. Uh, this is Amy. Unfortunately, I did not catch the juicy parts of this conversation. I came in um, um, 
much towards the end that she seemed like she was getting frustrated or so-called offended and um, left. Now, because I didn't hear all that she said, but I was able to hear the way that she got off the phone and that she wasn't open to staying. Um, I know that she is a reverend and she is a professor. She holds a doctorate degree from some place and something. And I always think that it's so interesting that, um, and it's why the case has to be like maintained that white people are not committed to replacing the system of racism, white supremacy, because they're actually really not willing to do anything, even if that is, and I'll uh, feel the exact same way as Mr. Firefighter, who just spoke before me, willing to give anything. Like, even if the email said an hour, if and we're and Gus is saying, hey, I have people on the line who want to ask you questions, being able to just say, well, you know what, I'll just hold off on my dinner and I'm going to stay and answer these questions because these black people seem like they really, you know, are about this. Just being able to do that. And for me, it's so, it's so telling because all white people, it's really, I agree. I think Gus wrote something not too long ago that eventually everything on TV is pretty much just going to be some type of race drama. And I think so. I think it's just like extremely trendy um, for everybody. Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah, let's do this. You know what I mean? But when it comes down to actually being constructive in any way, shape, or form, there's always some level of offensiveness. I mean, I don't I don't even want to make a metaphor, but I don't see in any environment or situation where someone is called to speak on something that they said that they want to speak on. And then the people who are tuned in on their free time to listen to this person speak and have the opportunity to ask tough questions, all of a sudden, well, I'm not really going to, I don't have the time or uh, I don't want to, I've divulged enough information. I mean, I can understand wanting to have like feeling like there's some type of like privacy or whatever, but nobody just asked her, um, you know, share her, you know, sexual escapades or her sexual life or something like that outside of if she's had sex with um, someone who's non-white, you know what I mean? But that's just for our purposes so that we can understand a little bit more. And um, I'm going to listen back and take notes and perhaps uh, this Saturday, like say something else if she said something that really stuck out to me. But just from her tone and everything, it's so typically white. And I wonder, like, I mean, it's amazing because if you only listen to one, for anyone who might have just tuned in for like the first time ever, when you only listen to one, it's so easy to excuse but when you listen to white women do the same thing, the same way, every time, at about the time, get offended by the same thing, it's really, really, really interesting. I mean, that's the kind of thing that leads to scientific deductions, like formulations of theories is when you observe such a strict pattern of behavior, a strict response is like, wow, you know what I mean? You don't even deviate, like, this is just what it is. And I'm always fascinated by that because it's so obvious. I'm just, if she cried, that would have been interesting. I don't know if she did or didn't, but like I said, I will listen when the show becomes, or the broadcast becomes um, archived. And I mean, if, and here's another thing, like with when white people want to say that white people are the most confused, I mean, at first it might seem like maybe that might be so, but it's impossible. It's impossible to set up a system that you're confused about. And so 
I mean, that's just logic. And it gets to the point that the logic is so plain, so simple, so clear that it's, it's blasphemous and disrespectful to even act like that's not logical. How do you set up a system I'm a victim of, but I'm supposed to know more about it than you just because I get victimized by it? Who's victimizing me? If it, you know what I'm saying? Only white people. So who knows how this goes? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's fascinating. So, um, I mean, I didn't even have to hear everything to know that she did what white women do when they come on here. I mean, I argue the white males do it too, but the white women, God, like if you just listen to the whole show, you'll forget which one you're listening to because they do the same thing every time. So anyway, thank you all for listening. Can I hear it? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Ken Steele, and um, I just wanted to say that uh, if I had been allowed to uh, continue my inquiry, uh, we would have definitely seen an episode of Lacrimation on, uh, on another episode of uh, uh, the context of white supremacy. I, I guarantee it. Um, I've been breaking um, racist white women since elementary school, and uh, this is just uh, um, light work. But what I will say is, um, I think uh, Emmy's uh, observations are are on point. Um, she uh, she's very very typical. And if you uh, listen back on the recording, that was the comment that I uh, made that she spoke over. Um, it's interesting that uh, suspected racists know exactly what to do with terrorists, they have all sorts of machinations of what you do with criminals, all sorts of ideas what you do with uh, a rapist or a killer or a murderer. But when you get to racism, they suddenly have no idea how to deal with a racist properly. They have no idea how a victim of racism should deal with a racist. And I've heard racists um, on a, a number of occasions remark, well, if I were black, you know, I would, you know, if, if we were in a situation where with that black people find themselves in, he wouldn't take it. He would organize, we would fight against it, and he would overcome. And that's what they all believe about themselves. But when it comes to us, in their mind, we are supposed to be where we are. We are supposed to be in this system of white supremacy. And anything else uh, is uh, unimaginable, unfathomable. And they don't even want to entertain it. They get frustrated and offended at the idea of even addressing that. And I will uh, mute my line at this time. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Um, that's a good show, Gus. I um, always love to have white people come on. She wasn't the most refined uh, white person. However, um, I think she came on expecting a certain type of um, show and um, didn't quite go that way from the start. I think you kind of jumped in and you said, um, maybe like the white people don't use a lot of words and that, that kind of eliminated a lot of what she planned on doing. And, um, you know, you then said something about the laughter and she quickly swallowed her chuckle and knew she couldn't do that either. So uh, she felt very uncomfortable, and she's—I I took it she was getting very defensive. Um, just that white woman um, attitude um, type of thing. It was sort of like, well, what does he want me to say? You know, um, 
That's what I got from her. Um, I think that that question that she still asked was great. Uh, I'd like, I would love to, um, well, maybe next time we have a white guest, I would like to ask them um, what would, you know, what do you think that white people would do if they were in this situation? How would they handle this? Maybe we'll get some truth. Um, maybe we'll get some real solutions because um, I, I, I can't see them being in this situation for too long without some type of things going down. Um, I would love to see how they would handle it and hear that from the guests. Um, just thought that that was really interesting. Um, the part you talked about earlier with um, the news reporter, I didn't see that until today. And uh, he told her to stop shaking her head. I fell on the floor. Um, I love this Trump administration. I think these are the best group of characters you could put in there. I'm just waiting for things to hit the fan for black people and see how they handle that and see how black people respond to that. That's what I'm waiting for. Um, but I think um, another thing that you just talked about, I can't wait for your show on technology um, because, you know, technology is one of those things that's advancing. The technology is being programmed to be racist. And... Um, also, technology in a, in a huge part is our replacement. You know, I mean, prior to the modern technology, they had black people to do all these things. So um, it's, it's very interesting to, to have that show and to put it in the context of white supremacy because there's a lot of shows and talk about technology, but it's not spoken about in the context that it should be spoken about. Um, other than that, I'm eating my line. I'm on my way to plantation. Have a nice evening. Can I be heard really quick? Yes, ma'am. I just wanted to say for the female caller who got to ask the last question, I think that that was a very stellar question. Um, If she feels that black people should forgive white people, even though she's a Christian. Um, And I say that because I just had to write like a response about an article in psychology about forgiveness. And I completely wrote it from the framework of of the larger context of racism, white supremacy, not like individual wrongs that are done. And I think that that's stellar because white people push black people to forgive. But any other kind of atrocity, like white people have yet to forgive who they who they're blaming for 9-11. But you know what I mean? But we, for this grave atrocity, like we can't even wrap our minds really around all that happened to us in that time. We're just supposed to forgive them for all that then and all that they're doing now. So, I mean, and a lot of people, oh, a lot of white people say that, like, say that we should get over it. They have a whole bunch of different ways of saying it. But I, I do appreciate having a white woman say no. And all the other white people that perhaps have said that on the line. But the question was good. I just wanted to say that because I do appreciate that. So thank you for that. That's it. Thanks. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I thought it was pretty tacky in the supposed miscommunication about the length of the show um, from the guests that you had. To me, as a non-white person, she contradicted a lot of what she was trying to say. Um, And if if she was a professor of religion, her response to the listener who asked, what the difference between a black and white Christian was. She was very short and she seemed ready to get off the phone. I think if she was committed to bringing justice for non-white people, it's interesting how quickly she was ready to get off the phone. 
I was hoping she could have stayed longer because I'm over here taking notes and it was barely an hour into the show and she brought it up. Um, I probably would have formulated some more questions for her, but the questions that the listeners were able to ask her um, were very telling. Um, even from her interview was very telling. Um, also what she said at the end, I kind of chuckled at her response to the listener's last question about who's more confused, white or non-white people. I felt like she was very much obviously practicing racism and kind of just left it like that, like, bye niggers. So um, great show, um, good interview. Uh, thanks for listening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah, it's uh, Mark in North Carolina. And uh, I saw the quote, um, actually the quote that I read was from her YouTube video. Uh, she did a sermon in 2015, and uh, I thought that it was really interesting that the quote, um, and, and the quote that I read in the context that she stated it in, she didn't mention anything in terms of, you know, the, the rape and the murder that persists this, to this very day and uh, that we expect to continue uh, given the history of white people and white people not being ready to do anything to produce justice. Um, so the quote was, whiteness for now is the embodiment of an unjust material relationship, uh, unjust material relationship that have continued since the inception of this country. That, that to me sounds like refinement of the word, uh, uh, what is it, white privilege, quote unquote. I thought it was important as well, just because I uh, was <laughs> on Twitter of all places. I think people who've listened long enough know I, I absolutely uh, loathe Twitter. But someone messaged me. Uh, I think it was Talib Kweli. He's a, a hip hop artist. And how I found out about 2000 Seasons, the book. He was writing about racism and he said uh, he mentioned uh, this race soldier's work. Uh, I'm not even going to say her name, but he mentions this race soldier's work. And she's prominently known, uh, not quite as known as Tim Wise, but pretty prominently known. And uh, I said, you know, she's a racist, too. <laughs> like, you know, I, I cite uh, white authors, but my writing, even at Atlanta Black Star, uh, I will cite white authors and say admitted racist, suspected racist. Like, even if I am going to use some of their work, uh, I'm not going to present them like this is some cool white person and they get it like right on, you know, who had, Timothy, don't drink the Kool-Aid wise. Uh, and so I posted that and the person wrote back and they said that this white person who Talib Kweli cited, uh, they admitted to being a racist. And so they shared the clip. What this white person did was say that all white people are racist. They didn't say, yes, I such and such and such and such am a racist. And I said, that is a, that is a key in my view. That is a significant difference. And our guest today, Reverend Harvey, she did the same thing. Um, she, when the question was asked, I think that was Mr. Steele. Are you a racist? She said, all white people are racist. Uh, just in my view, that is very different from saying, I, yes, I, me, am culpable, I am a racist, and leaving it at that, not just 
oh, all white people are racist, that kind of shift the fo- shifts the focus away from that individual white person. And whites, they find a lot of different ways uh, of doing that, deflecting attention from them individually. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention one more thing here, if I can, Gus. Yes, sir. Uh, the other thing is that uh, in a book, I read an excerpt for the uh, introduction, part of the introduction in a book uh, that uh, I, I can't think of the title of the book right now. Uh, but she's a self-proclaimed feminist. And I found it really interesting that when the question was asked about uh, white women's role in the system of white supremacy and the refinement and the, the, uh, uh, the uh, upkeep of white supremacy, she mentioned the feminism movement and uh, how it gives this impression that uh, the feminists are about X, Y, and Z, but really it's more so about uh, continuing and expanding the system of white supremacy, but that's not mentioned in her book. She's, self, she's a self-proclaimed feminist, so I thought that was really interesting, and I think that uh, she was definitely practicing racism and white supremacy on this program this evening. Thank you. Right on. Uh, one of our uh, listeners in the great state of Wisconsin uh, they wrote in uh, their question was going to be, is it logical for blacks to want to reconcile with whites? Why do you think that blacks would want to reconcile with terrorists? Was your book written as a way to help whites refine racism so that they can continue practicing racism and continue to terrorize non-white people? Those are going to be her uh, three questions if she had uh, stayed longer. Uh, for the folks that were listening, I think we did get disconnected. Uh, our internet connection uh, dropped, but we got reconnected. If you were listening, I guess at TuneIn or uh, Black Talk Radio Network, if you refresh your browser, it should be working fine. No problems. Other folks, did they have commentary? Uh, can I... Uh ask a question for sure yes uh uh to to everybody uh i only saw one picture of her and what struck me when i looked at the picture it appeared that she was very white male masculine looking and uh so i was going to uh get on the path of uh sex between, uh, well, anti-sex in this case, uh, between, uh, white people and, uh, and, uh, non-white people, uh, that is called lesbianism and whatnot, that sort of thing. Uh, did anybody notice the same thing or, or is it just me? I, cause I, cause others may have saw, uh, different pictures of her. I, I, I actually heard some of the listeners saying that they saw her on YouTube but I only got that one picture. She looked very masculine to me. Hello. Uh, just comments on that. Yes, yes, ma'am. We can hear you as well. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I did. I thought that too. And she, from what I read, I read a little bit more. She is, she's, I guess, active in the lesbian community there. Uh, I, had a uh. look, I, looked, I looked up. You know, you have to keep going. Cause like you said, I saw the picture and, you don't want to judge, whatever, but you look at the picture. And I did look and look. So that, that would have been a good question to ask about the anti-sexual thing. Because according to what I read, she had a blog. It said how she went to the first, she went to something in Iowa, the first, her first lesbian outing or something. And how she offended the people there because she was from New York. And 
and New York, I don't know, I guess New York lesbians are different. I, I don't know. And the use of the word queer and stuff like that. So, yes. So, yeah. Now I better understand on why she quickly got off this program. That that also is a, is a, is a supportive reason on why she quickly got off this program. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Hello. Just uh, wanted to answer that really quickly. Um, um, this, uh, what what I would say is that uh, she does have a very masculine look uh, about herself, and uh, the I think the YouTube video that I did watch, she was at a church of utilitarianism or something to that effect. Uh, it's one of those churches that, um, in in my and I could be wrong, uh, but I've seen them frequently have you know, people in alternative or quote-unquote alternative sexual lifestyles uh, being members uh, in that church, and that's pretty much who they reach to uh, as people who embrace alternative lifestyles, uh, quote-unquote homosexual, antisexual, uh, whatever you want to phrase it as. Uh, that, that's typically what I've seen in my experience. And uh, she has, you know, the piercings in the lip, uh, lip piercing, I think a tongue piercing, uh, so on and so forth. And so very, very masculine, uh, if you will, lesbian look to herself. Thank you. That is, that is a very dangerous white woman. I can hear you. Oh, yeah. I was, man, I'm glad y'all said that because I was thinking area eight um, because she had um the millionaire March thing and saying how that she had a, a you know one of the black guys she was very close to she was able to persuade him to um, tell her some information so I was thinking I bet she was in a relationship with him and I meant to ask that question but um, now that you guys are describing the um, picture it could be an area eight and a half or something like that you know I thought that too from the pictures and the uh, YouTube videos, at least the ones that I saw, she looked, uh, it was a similar uh, presentation, more of a kind of masculine presentation. I even, I even thought I was wondering if that was her biological child or if it was adoption or yes, I was curious about that too. Can I be heard? Yes. Yes. We can hear you. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, the hosts, the callers, and the listeners. Um, I was going to ask the uh, the person who came in to speak with us, the individual who classifies as white. I was going to ask a few questions. One of the questions I was going to ask uh, was um, people or if if people who classify as white come to America, invade America, and genocide the black people, then why are you here in America as a part of the invasion? And maybe that's a loaded question, but but she she did say herself that uh, in 1400, since 1400, white people went um, out of Europe invaded uh, indigenous people's land and genocide them. 
But my point is, but why are you still here as part of the invasion? And, like, why do you keep having children and making them be part of the invasion? If you have children on invaded land, that makes your children part of the invasion and you part of the invasion. So I'm just wondering, I mean, you have enough money to leave. Are you not allowed to leave? Did somebody tell you you cannot leave this land, that you have to stay here? And do they tell other white people that they have to stay here? Are they allowed to go back to Europe? Are they allowed to leave South Africa and go back to Europe? Are they allowed to leave the other places in the world? Um, maybe they're not allowed to. And I was wondering if she could get that answer. And then the other question I had was that, are the black people in America, are the majority of us, the Native Americans, because uh, a lot of people have told me that's the case. Even my grandmother told me that's the case. So I was going to ask her, what percentage of us are Native Americans? Which, what percentage of the black people currently in America are the Native Americans? What percentage of us came from Africa? Because you she would know because they have all the records. And, and then I noticed uh, in the very beginning that she chuckled um, like in the very beginning when she was giving her um, introduction of what she did, she said, you know, she does this, this, and she works to, and then she chuckled, and then she said, dismantle white supremacy. And I thought that was interesting. And I wanted to ask, you know, if that meant anything to her, maybe if, if she, looking back on it, could tell, tell us what, the, what she was thinking at that time when she was laughed about she may be dismantling white supremacy. And then the last thing that I wanted to say, and I wasn't sure if I should say it or not, but um, the last thing that I just, I, I, I noticed because I sent an email because I, I figured she was, she, was, she was leaving. And I sent an email, but then when I looked back at the email that I sent uh, Mr. Gus, you know, I went to ask the question. I looked at the email and it said 911. So the time was 9 one one. That was the time, p.m. Uh, of the email. That was the exact time that she left. And uh, one of the callers, one of the lady callers, black lady callers, just today, mentioned something about nine one one. I'm wondering if she noticed the same thing, consciously or subconsciously. And uh, and I thought that was particular because maybe this person is a, a part of a high order, and maybe she could have told us that. Are you like one of those people that they say are masons or something? Are you part of any other type of secret society? So those were my questions. Uh, oh, and I, it was it was just interesting that I um I, I wasn't able to get through when I was uh, trying to speak to you. But okay, thank you. Interesting, interesting. Wow. Uh, other folks, did we miss anybody? Anybody else uh, have observations that they wanted to get in based on what they heard from uh, Reverend Harvey? Make sure I didn't I'm looking at the switchboard to make sure I didn't miss uh, anybody's hand. She she included a oh I did miss a hand, maybe. Uh other folks, anybody else that I missed who had a hand up? Okay. She she used a uh metaphor once uh when she the I think it was Mr. Steele when he asked uh if she was racist and she said all white people are racist. Uh, she said it's in the air metaphor. Uh, and that's, that's one of those where I say it's crucial because, 
uh, whites. And that was where when people were asking about, you know, you individually, can you, you know, tell us times where you've practiced racism or can you, you know, tell us a time that you uh, did the most harm practicing racism where she got all defensive and, hey, you know, this is not going to talk about my personal life. That is just concealing uh, information, uh, which is one of the main ways that white people practice racism, white supremacy, them being more informed about white supremacy, racism, concealing information. And they do this in a variety of ways uh, to play the victim uh, that you all are berating me and harassing me and trying to comb through, you know, all the details of my life. No, just what are some of the, some of the ways that you practiced racism? You have admitted to being a racist. She admitted to being a racist even at the beginning of the program when she said she was still trying to figure out what it meant to be white. That that I think was in like the first three minutes of her opening her mouth on the program. I think she said she was still trying to figure it out. And that when a white person says that sort of comment to me, that lets me know that this person is going to be engaged in a lot of folly uh, that they, you know, are just going to be saying all kinds of nonsense that this is a really dangerous white person. Uh, you have to be on your guard about white people are not confused about racism. They're not trying to figure out what it means to be white. What it means is to practice white supremacy, terrorize black people, Dylan roof, Margaret Sanger, whatever image uh, you need of white people, I have said consistently uh, it should be a white woman with cookies and an apron. That's what you should think of. And in fact, if you saw Imperium, I fell out laughing <laughs> like uh, this movie came out. It's specifically about white supremacy and allegedly the FBI going in to try to get these terrorists. But they have a scene where it is a white woman. She's in this white nationalist family and they're plotting about how to get a bomb and blow up non-white people. She's baking cookies. She doesn't have, she doesn't have a clan outfit. She doesn't have a shaved skull. She doesn't have a swastika tattooed on her forehead. She is baking cookies. Now I do think the cookies has swastikas, but that's, you know, beside the point, that's what you should be thinking of. That is Reverend Harvey, white woman with a, you know, earrings and a, and a business suit. She's a reverend. That's what you should be thinking of when they are doing major damage. But a white person coming and saying that they don't know what it means to be uh, white. And, you know, they've come in and hanging out with the coloreds. That's how they figured everything out. You all have taught me that right there is racism, white supremacy and a very, very dangerous racist. She admitted to being a racist, so a very dangerous race soldier, in my opinion, religion of white supremacy. Everybody good? Everybody good. Uh, can I, can I uh, say something real quick? For sure. Awesome. Uh, I thought it was really, really telling how... Wait just a second. I thought it was very telling how terse uh, she was in her response to uh, my direct questioning, and uh, I thought that uh, one thing that I've noticed about racist white supremacists is that they can't stand having straight questions asked of them. Uh, they can't stand to give straight answers. They think that they are beneath uh that that is beneath them to even entertain these questions. And I thought that that was um, the general uh, tone that she took, uh, particularly once the direct questioning started. 
Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. They. It's been my experience. Uh, they very much it's number one i want to come in and i'm one of the good white i think she said that from the very beginning you're not suspicious of me i understand bro you're all mistreated you know right i i read you know i was at the white privilege conference they'll come with that uh and or they will indict white people but it's not me um they'll do a lot of uh, obfuscating and, and finding ways to talk about uh, other white people or it's in the air they'll give you that metaphor which she used today uh, but not talking directly about how they practice racism and i think she did agree uh on that when i said that white people they'll pile up ways that they benefit they will not talk about ways that they practice racism and that's you know that's the crux of everything um Anybody else? Oh, a quick question. Did, did, she, did she say uh, examples of how she directly practiced racism, or did she just lie to me? She gave uh, two examples earlier in the program, maybe within the first 30 minutes. I don't remember the exact. It was early in the program. She gave uh, two examples of where I think one of them, a caller mentioned already, where it was some black people. They went to the Million Man March. She said this was while she was in college, uh, went to the Million Man March. And I guess the black males had agreed that they were not going to talk about their experience. And she was working for the newspaper. And so she was going to write about this. And I guess she said she knew one of the black men. She was friends, I think was the word she used. And she pressured him to break his promise to not discuss. And, you know, he told her about all this so she could do her story. That was one. And then the other one she said was uh, some white person on the um, on the newspaper staff wrote an article with some racist commentary in it basically, or that she thought was racist. And she said that she just got her name taken off of it, but she could have stopped that from being published altogether. Uh, and she said that she also thought that that was an act of racism because she knew it was racist and she didn't do anything about it. And she had the ability uh, to have stopped that. And she didn't. So those were two that she listed. Weak. And again, white people, I mean, Hey, Practicing racism is not, I mean, that right there is a major part of the problem. Uh, white people not explaining, non-white people not understanding all of the different ways that white people practice racism, white supremacy. That's something that they should be able to talk about, you know, for yeah, as much time as they spend whining and running off at the mouth about white privilege and all the different ways that they benefit and band-aids and not being followed. They should be able to talk for eons and fill up all the hard drives in the world with the ways that they practice racism because that is what non-white people, including Gus T, that is what we do not understand, obviously, or we would have solved this problem. That's just following logic. Anything else folks wanted to get to? Assume folks are good on uh, Reverend Harvey. I did think it was uh, important uh, as well. Steve uh, King, her congressman, uh, as I said, that was in the, uh, in the New York Times. I don't know if it's in the physical paper, but it was on uh, their website today uh, where they were talking about his whole history of practicing racism. And he keeps getting they they had to get that in. Now, they allege that maybe the tide is turning and people are tired of his antics, but they had to concede he's been doing this for a while. All of his referencing uh, the book Camp of the Saints and making <clears throat> he endorsed Donald Trump. 
making disparaging comments about uh, immigrants and the demise of Western, i.e. white civilization. He's been doing this for a long time and he just keeps winning and keeps winning. They just sent, keep sending him back to Washington on behalf of Iowa. Uh, folks like the good Reverend Jennifer Harvey. Um, they in that report. Well, he said all of these things that people have done all of this. Apparently, there is a, a significant segment of Iowa that this is our dude. He speaks for us. That right there is huge. When we see these type of things, we need to take that for what it is following logic. And that's why I said when you hear somebody like a Reverend Harvey uh, suggesting that uh, white people, if they just get accurate information, if white children, if we just, you know, talk to them correctly at a young age, white people are more confused about racism. Me being able to talk with you all, I have learned more about. No, if anything, I'm refining how to practice racism, white supremacy, so I can better confuse non-white people, so they will not be suspicious of me as a racist uh, and just giving non-white people inaccurate information. That's one of the main things. I really try to emphasize that white people. <clears throat> promoting false information, master deceivers and efficiently where they can get non-white people to accept uh, their false information. Major strategy of racism. Uh, with that, I think I might have the sound clip. I'm trying to decide if I want to play it uh, today or wait because uh, the program is coming. I, I was going to do it last week right with the uh, South by Southwest uh, conference uh, down in Austin because they had a lot of, I think they had uh, the documentary on Michael Brown that just came out uh, where they were saying that maybe uh, it was not a, a convenience store robbery and all this. I think that was screened at South by Southwest. And obviously they had a lot of uh, information on technology. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was worthy of a broadcast uh, just seeing some of the new designs and, and technology that they were talking about there. Uh, and in general uh, it's, Incredible. Uh, I'll, I'll have to think for a second or two about whether I want to play uh, the sound clip that I was talking about today or just save it for uh, the technology program that is coming. But if we have any listeners, I think I asked before, if we have any listeners uh, who participated in the South by Southwest uh, conference uh, over the past week or so earlier this month, uh, definitely drop me an email. Would be great to hear, you know, what you saw, what was there. I know we have a lot of listeners down in the Texas uh, area or people who might just, have, you know, went to hang out. Drop me an email. Would be great to uh, hear your thoughts. Uh, any other topics uh, while I'm trying to decide if I'm going to play this or not? Any other uh, topics or observations, suggestions folks want to get in? Hello. Uh, uh, we'll get. Go ahead, ma'am. Right on. Oh, thank you so much. Um, um, oh, one question I I wanted to ask. I was indisposed, so I couldn't, but I was listening. Um, I guess one of her books, cause I guess she's an expert because she's written like three books on this kind of thing, and she's recommending reparations. And I guess one of the examples was that a church should have 20% African-American people. And I did want to ask her, well, what? how would that help just being around black people White people have been around black people. Black people have been around white people for years. So I don't understand how that would be a form of reparations. And also the financial impact of that, knowing that most most of the money generated in the black community is through the black church with black people. And why would they want to, why would you want the African Americans to take their money and tie it to your church? And is that church, will that church also in turn give 
20% of their tithes and offerings to the community. That was long, but that was kind of, that was a question I had based on what I read on her reviews and about the book. And I guess kind of outside of this, a potential guest, I don't know, you, I think everybody's probably heard of him, I'm probably late. Some guy, he's white, his name is DJ Vlad, and he talks to all these black people in hip-hop, and he's in all this information, and I'm sure he's getting a lot of YouTube, hit, YouTube hits and money from that. And I, that's the person that I think will be a good guest on the show, because I just, I just don't get why he's so into black people. I mean, all black people. Hip-hop, non-hip-hop, black people. He just seems to be really into black people. And I don't know why. Hmm. I am aware of him. Um, I have to see about having him as a guest. I, he seems like another one of those people. Uh, delectable Negro. Making yes. a, a lifestyle out of consuming black folks. Uh, was there, uh, appreciate the suggestion for DJ Vlad. Was there a male caller who spoke up simultaneously? Yes, sir. Uh, just wanted to say that uh, in uh, Mr. Fuller's uh, revised uh, expanded edition, the United Independent Compensatory Code System Concept uh, Counter Racist Code Book, uh, he has uh, some inter- very interesting and intrinsic questions that should be asked to white people. And uh, I've studied them, and uh, I would say that uh, it'll be it'll be great uh, to uh, be able to ask uh, white people uh, these questions. Well, he, he, I mean, yes, I mean, one can make up their own uh, questions, that's for sure. But uh, some of the ones that Mr. Fuller thought of are, are very intrinsic, very interesting. And it really uh, would help a uh, non-white person uh, to be able to uh, uh, be able to uh, listen to that white person what they have to say in the in the exchange to be able to reveal uh, much more clearer uh, about how white people practice racism, white supremacy. Uh, if if uh, in the uh, people activity of politics. Uh, from page, uh, something like page uh, two nineteen to uh, uh, page uh, from two nineteen to page two twenty three. Uh, uh, full of questions, a whole lot of questions, very interesting questions, uh, and. Uh, and uh, yes, I, I was prepared to uh, to answer uh, some of those questions uh, based on what just off the picture that I observed uh, uh, of her. Uh, and and people have a a reason for looking a certain way. They have a reason for looking a certain way. And uh, from what I heard from the listeners, uh, that that also was thinking the same. Uh, way that I was, and we haven't talked to each other about it. I, I was prepared to really ask her some some in, intrinsic questions, but yeah, just my my uh, observation and and, and uh, uh, just to uh, you know observe uh, Doctor. I'm not Doctor Wilson, but uh, 
Mr. Fuller's uh, book and the questions that he has that we should be asking white people. Thank you. Right on. Any other uh, comments folks wanted to uh, get in? Observations? Doesn't necessarily have to be related to uh, Reverend Harvey. Folks uh, satisfied? We'll assume folks uh, are good. I'm thinking just because the uh, technology program, like I said, I've been talking about this uh, for a while. I've been thinking about it, and I think I've I've posted. <clears throat> I'm, I'm just I think I have uh, not brought it up as frequently on the program, but I definitely have uh, been paying attention to it. In fact, I think it was. They do like, you know, they have all of the end of the year programs, even though the cows did not do our review for 2016, but they have lots of reviews for 2016 and what, you know, people are expecting uh, for the coming year. And NPR, they had a segment. This was, it might have been like January 1st. It was very, very early in the year. And they were talking about all the technological advances, uh, things that they were looking forward to. Uh, in the coming calendar year, this year, 2017. And I'm paying attention like, wow, that's crazy. Like, oh, listen to all the different things. And they said, one of the things, it was like a, a collective of people. One of the people, she said, I am looking forward to, in this year, them having uh, virtual reality technology where two people, you could be uh, in two different locations. Like, you could both be at your uh, separate houses and you could go on a date, quote unquote, from your two separate houses and it would be realistic. Lots of fun. They even in a in what they call a, a tongue and cheek manner suggested that, you know, you could engage in some sort of virtual reality, you know, sexual play or what have you with all of this. And they were saying that this is going to be available this year uh, in addition to the driverless car technology uh, taking off and I mean just massive changes uh, in the way things uh, operate in addition to uh, things being a lot cheaper like I said some of the products that they had at uh, South by Southwest it's, it is uh, mind boggling uh, just trying to fathom what the world will look like that's one of the things I think that is important for counter racism as well racist they look a thousand years down the road that's what Iowa Congressman Steve King is doing. I'm looking 500 years down the road and I want to make sure that individuals classified as white dominate looking at this technology. What is this going to look like a hundred years down the road? What are the implications with regards to racism, white supremacy, counter racism uh, with these technological advances over the next 25 years, the next 50 years? Uh, I would say even for a lot of us uh, in our lifetime, it's going to be a radical change uh, just with uh, the amount of, of development uh, and technology. And particularly, <clears throat> uh, it could be especially bad, I think, uh, if you think about this in in context of education, who has access uh, to a lot of this technology, who understands how it's put together, who's going to be uh, on the front lines, as they say, in development and all of that. I mean, it could man i remember i remember one uh of the reports uh in you know as i've been paying a little bit more attention to this one of the reports they were 
uh, this is a white man. He referenced the movie Gattaca. I don't know if people have seen it or not, but it uh, that came out in like the 90s. Uh, and so you have like designer babies, if you want to think like CRISPR. Uh, that's what they were thinking about in the 90s. Like that's when it'll be and that'll be widespread. Like everybody who has a child, they'll go in, they'll go to the clinic and, you know, whatever you want. If you want the child to be really smart, run really fast, whatever. We'll, you know, go in, tinker with the genetics and there you go. And it sh- they have one child who does not get this done, who is just naturally born. And it shows, you know, how uh, his quality of life is lower uh, because of that and how he has to struggle to try to make his way, even as a white man in this society. But he was saying that he thinks it could be uh, way worse uh, than that. He just wasn't using the term white supremacy, but he was saying, given the current disparities that you already have, all of this technology could just drastically uh, exacerbate that. Uh, it's it's just a lot to process uh, from a lot of different ways. And even from a counter racist perspective, like thinking about this technology, Wow. How can some of these things uh, be used to counter racism? I think we were talking about on the program, the recording devices that they have out right now. Like it is amazing. Like if you if you work on a job and they don't allow you to have cell phones, no problem. They got MP3 pens, uh, disk drives, like all kinds of little gadgets, glasses, everything where you can record. It'll be crystal uh, and you'll be able to use it, whatever you need. They got watches and everything. We've talked about a lot of these little uh, gadgets. I think the uh, those tactical pins. I think they were designed. One of the white people, when I was watching the videos after I got mine, he said this was designed environments where you can't take a weapon. They don't allow that. They will allow a pin. You can get down with this pin. Like the the advances are just absolutely stunning. Uh, like they have a lot of videos from uh, South by Southwest. You can go online and just browse through, uh, check out some of the content. Like I, I would encourage, particularly if you have children, like I'd make no mistake. I think in 25 years, I suspect a lot of the people on this line likely will be around uh, in 25 years, we hope and in good health. Uh, and maybe we'll have solved this problem, but in 25 years, a lot of us will still be here it's going to be radical, uh, the difference just with, you know, the advances and what have you for your children. I can't even imagine uh, what things could look like, you know, 50, 75 years, uh, what it's going to look like. So I would encourage uh, be talking about it, be talking about this with your uh, children. Uh, it is it is absolutely stunning. Uh, and hopefully, like I said, we can use our brain computer, be inspired by Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, apply some black self-respect and see if we can use some of this technology to help us solve the problem. White people. But I think I'll save the clip. I will save it uh, for that program because I'm I'm excited and I think we'll probably be able to get that done in the next uh, seven days. Uh, Everybody satisfied, right? Think think anybody else had uh, comments they were going to share? Anybody have commentary? Heard both of you. Um, okay, so um, just real quick. So I've uh, attended uh, a South by Southwest. Um, I think it was uh, it was either two or three years ago, two or three springs ago, and uh, I I attended the uh, the technological side. Very interesting conversations. Um, very interesting displays. Um, but the aspect of South by Southwest that really, uh, intrigued me was the, uh, music. And I attended a few, uh, uh, rap concerts there. I saw, uh, oh, what was that? Uh, 8th 
ASAP Rocky and uh, the whole ASAP mob and everything. And the thing that really struck me about the whole affair was uh, the fact that uh, it largely consisted of um, white Texans uh, screaming the N-word really, really loud and staring at black people uh, in the face. And then also, um, I attended South by Southwest with a friend of mine or an associate of mine who had dreadlocks. And, um, and the, I guess the, um, the racism there was really, um, really plain spoken and in your face. Uh, I, I remember there was one time we were crossing the street and they had a crossing guard who looked like the Marine from the old 1990s uh, uh, dragon commercial. He looked like extra bald, extra serious, extra Marine-like. And um, uh, he, I remember uh, we approached this uh, stop. We were at the crosswalk first. But he held his hand out to us. He let two cars pass. Then he let a white couple pass. And then he let us cross the street. And we looked at each other, my uh, associate and I, and uh, and we we both had to assure ourselves that we had just uh, participated in a, uh, a very, or, or we were just victims of a very racist act. And... Um, I don't know. South by Southwest, I, I never went back afterwards, and I, I don't think I've attended a live uh, rap concert uh, since. I feel you. Uh, living in the Pacific Northwest, uh, that I have not had that experience, but I knew intuitively that uh, I would not enjoy any sort of performance music otherwise if it's going to be a largely white audience that i didn't and i didn't even have an understanding of racism but i certainly now at this point like yep that's about exactly what i would imagine that sort of environment to be and probably intoxicated white people i don't know about south by southwest but that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me either uh the other black male who spoke up simultaneously were you gonna comment as well uh yes um Real quick, um, I don't know if you heard that they had the the, the um, car Tesla. They put out last year. They were trying to um, have the the first vehicle that could drive itself, but I guess it has to get approved through like a certain commission. So they disapproved it because they said that um, the people that are behind the wheel weren't going to be tentative to what's actually going on on the road. And uh, the people at Tesla said that's the whole purpose for you to be able to like. Uh, say wherever you want to go, and they take you to wherever you want to go. So um, they pushed that back. It was supposed to release last year, and I heard that they tried to push it out um, this year again, but it, it got denied um, the second time. Also, um, I have a smartwatch, what they call a quote-unquote smartwatch. This thing, um, <laughs> it tracks my sleep. It tracks um, how many uh, gallons of water I drink per day or cups. Uh, it tracks my steps, uh, and certain other habits like, um, heart rate, different workouts. It, I mean, it literally knows certain things that you're doing. If you're running, it knows if you're walking, it knows if you're going up the stairs, it knows exactly what's going on. So I guess it's like the gift and the curse. And also the, um, I think you said the virtual reality dating. I, I read an article on that and I actually seen a picture. I can't remember exactly where I saw it. 
what they do have something where it's like an analog uh, controller. If anyone ever played like uh, games online, where you can use that controller to actually penetrate whoever is on the opposite side of the the computer or wherever else you're you're logged into, and um, yeah, they just have some weird stuff coming out with technology. Also, um, I've seen something where I don't know if you guys are familiar. Sorry about the noise in the background on a plantation. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, like the, like the vending machines, but I heard that they were trying to produce a vending machine where you can um, customize uh, doll babies and you can produce it right there. But um, I haven't heard any more about that since like 2015, and uh, that's pretty much it. Hmm. I hadn't heard about the the customized dolls, but, but my suspicion everything could be, you know, or I won't say everything, but a lot of things uh, could be customized uh, by, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, that could be the case. I mean, they've been talking about that uh, for a while, that that could be tremendously uh, accelerated uh, just with as the technology continues to grow by leaps and bounds. Um, we're... Uh, any other comments folks wanted to make sure they got in before we get ready to wrap things up again. We will be here tomorrow. Workplace racism. We again had a lot of people who wrote in. If you want to email, uh, if you have suggestions, if you've had problems, if you have observations, certainly if you have figured out some things to solve problems, to get white people to back up off of you on the job, you just get your promotions and everything is fine. Definitely. We need those suggestions, what you have done, or what you've said, uh, to stay out of trouble, but we'll be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for workplace racism. Uh, any other comments, folks? Want to get in? Uh, yeah, real quick. Um, uh, speaking of Tesla, um, there was a report recently that uh, a victim of racism filed a discrimination lawsuit against uh, Tesla, um, alleging that he was called the N-word uh, to his face. Uh, frequently, and uh, he was subject to um, a number of racist comments and uh, uh, racist treatment, and he's currently on medical leave. And um, I just wanted to note something about Tesla is that uh, its, I guess, owner and CEO um, and founder is uh, Elon Musk, and Elon Musk is a uh, is a white man from South Africa. I believe he is old enough to have uh, to have paid um, black people in bubblegum. So I uh, understand that uh, if you're wondering about you know who's in control of the future and you know who is um, doing what, um, you know it doesn't surprise me that uh, uh, Tesla is home to. Uh, racist uh, incidences and uh, racist treatment of its uh, factory workers and all, all workers and its staff. And uh, the founder is a, is a white uh, middle-aged South African who uh, grew up uh, in apartheid South Africa. Uh, so um, that's just something to note about uh, one of the, uh, I guess, uh, racists that are uh, trying to control the future. Thank you. That's Thomas in New York's guy uh, getting his spaceships together. We're going to practice white supremacy in other galaxies. Uh, Elon Musk. But yeah, that, that's, again, what I mean. Whole different world, uh, twenty whole different universe, uh, 25 years uh, down the road. Maybe, maybe not even that long. Um, 
unless that is it. We are oh, and the people who are oh, sorry, the people who are programming these uh, technologies uh, um, that know machine learning technology and uh, Internet of Things technology and uh, all sorts of embedded uh, uh, coding. Um, a good number of those people are uh, non-white uh, individuals uh, from uh, so-called uh, developing nations. Uh, India being uh, one of the most uh, uh, abundant sources of this talent. So, um, you know, that anybody can learn how to code. I, I just want to say that. So um, that might be the key to the future. Amen. Learn as much as you can about, <clears throat> excuse me, learn as much as you can about everything. Uh, definitely encourage that. Uh, that will help us regardless uh, in solving the problem of racism, white supremacy. Uh, again, we'll be here tomorrow for workplace racism. If you have guest suggestions, uh, if you have problems finding something in the archives, any other confusion, feel free to drop an email and uh, we'll try to get your problem resolved uh, promptly. Uh, compensatory calling will be uh, on Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And we'll be here on Friday, debut study session for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s partner, Coretta Scott King. Uh, she transitioned right at the beginning of 2006, uh, but her autobiography uh, just released uh, with... <clears throat> Reverend Dr. Barbara Reynolds. She is a black female acclaimed journalist. Uh, just came out <clears throat> a few, I think within the past couple of months, uh, 2017, uh, just came out. But we'll be starting that on Friday. Lots of great information. And obviously racism, white supremacy is uh, a major theme of how she invested her life currency. So looking forward to that this Friday. With that, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope it's been a constructive investment of your Wednesday evening. I would again suggest sobriety. Under conditions of racism, white supremacy, white people are dangerous. Uh, that situation in New York uh, with James Harris Jackson, uh, the white supremacist, uh, he was charged with terrorism. Uh, this week he killed an unarmed black male last week where he said he went to New York specifically uh, to kill black people. <clears throat> you do not want to be under the influence and have people like that uh, just roaming. And that's what it means to be white. He is not confused. Uh, he knows what it means to be white. He is an active race soldier practicing the religion of white supremacy. That being the case, we want to make sure that we are sober so that we can be clear thinking uh, so that we can be mindful of the danger that is around us. We can make great decisions to keep ourselves safe. A lot of us, if you're parents or if you're responsible for other people, Hey, you do not want to be out on alcohol, tobacco, anything else that they come up with, any other narcotics, uh, so that you <clears throat> are not able to make phenomenal decisions to keep yourself safe. White people are super dangerous. That's white people with a badge or without. With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person special consideration our prayers thoughts uh, for Pam Trojan horse publications 
she had a family member uh, that passed away uh, just this week. Uh, so we ask everyone uh, if you could send your thoughts, prayers, uh, condolences to Pam and her family. Wishing them strength. Uh, know they're having a tough time. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>